Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Did You Read with Tim Montgomery. Thank you for downloading the Did You Read podcast from The Times. I'm Philip Collins. I'm standing in for Tim Montgomery this week as Tim searches the fleshpots of Rio de Janeiro for lessons on compassionate conservatism. And joining me this week on the panel is Hugo Rifkind, Faye Schlesinger and Patrick Kidd. For three decades, Max Clifford was the guru of the dirty secret. Looking back today, though, very few of the revelations he brought to tabloids, Man Sleeps With Woman, seem all that interesting. I think we're becoming a less censorious society and, in the process, leaving the people with real dirt, such as Clifford himself, fewer places to hide. Across the rich world, crime is falling. 70% fewer murders in Estonia over the past 20 years. Violent crime down by a third in the US. Just 86,000 cars stolen in England last year against 400,000 in 1997. There are myriad explanations, from education to targeted policing and more prison places, but no really satisfactory answer. So are we, as criminologists are starting to conclude, simply a nicer and less macho society? One of the plum jobs in journalism is up for grabs, as the BBC seeks a new presenter of Newsnight to replace that sneering polecat Jeremy Paxman. We wonder, though, has the Paxman style of interview actually helped to contribute to the decline of the reputation of politicians? Is the why is this lying bastard lying to me attitude actually forcing politicians into saying nothing interesting at all? Is it time to bring back the deferential political interview, or at least one that gets politicians to say interesting things? I didn't know you were going to swear, Patrick. We're going to have to put an explicit <laughs> warning on this so that people listen to it after the water show. bastard about... I, I there was a I, bitch in the Baroness Trump internet. No, don't interview. make it worse. <laughs> don't make it worse. We haven't got asterisks in podcasts. Um, <laughs> Hugo, let's come to you before Patrick starts sort of potty-mouthing all the way through the podcast. Your thesis is that the Max Clifford trial demonstrates something quite important about social trends, about how we've changed yes. in Britain. Absolutely. I mean, what what sparked this for me was I, I I followed the trial. I read the horrendous judge's summary of you know when he when he when he did sentencing, which went through a, a lot of his offences. I think the judge took a real dislike to Max Clifford. Amazingly, that someone could do such a thing, um, and and listed a lot of his crimes in the sentencing, which is quite unusual. But what really sparked it off for me was I was reading a report afterwards, which was suggesting that a lot of Max Clifford's clients were frightened because Max Clifford had prided himself on burying their dirty secrets. And I started thinking, what on earth can these dirty secrets be? Because Max Clifford's clients include people like Simon Cowell. Now, every second week, Simon Cowell is in the paper for an affair with this lap dancer or that lap dancer or having a child with, you know, somebody somebody else's wife or being in some weird sort of health, you know, he has strange health routines that involve him being wrapped in cling film and beaten with slippers and stuff. And I was thinking, what 
what can this guy have that he doesn't want in the papers? Maybe it's that he doesn't do any of those things. Well, exactly. He sits yeah, at home well, with I mean, the this, this, this is this is perfectly possible. But it it seemed to me that um the idea of the, the sort of the old school kind of tabloid kiss and tell, the idea of celebrity cheats on wife, celebrity has affair, celebrity sleeps with lap dancer, these sorts of things, that celebrity has drug addiction even, these sort of things don't ruin careers anymore. Because we've, come, we've become so inured to those things, that we, those things will, would once upon a time have been scandalous, but they yeah. are no longer. They're, they're, exactly. Although that doesn't necessarily mean we've become inured to them. It might mean that we take a much more sort of... Uh, uh, sort of sober, uh, have a much more sober response to them. Because really, I mean, it, it used to be the case where a celebrity could be ruined by being discovered that they did something that lots of people do. Access pornography, for example, you know, could really shame somebody, could ruin their career, taking drugs, that sort of thing. You know, they're quite widespread things. But as soon as they're happening in public, they could ruin a career. That seems to be, to me, to be not the case anymore. And I, I got thinking, well, why did Max Clifford you can almost understand why someone like Max Clifford, with the secrets that Max Clifford had, wanted to preside over a society where we believed that everyone had a dirty secret, even when, in fact, a lot of those secrets weren't that dirty, weren't that bad, uh, because it, it gave somebody who had a real nasty, dirty secret like him sort of cover, somewhere to hide. And it made me think that perhaps while, it, as we become a less censorious society, it leaves people like Max Clifford, who have really up to really foul things that we ought to be very censorious about, a little bit stranded in a good way. And at the same time as becoming less censorious, we've also become less tolerant of certain behaviour. The Dave Lee Travis trial, for example, threw up yeah. the fact that customs and mores have really changed in office places, for example. Where, I mean, Travis was acquitted of all the charges which were current. Yeah. But in the course of his evidence, he, he freely admitted jiggling the breasts of a woman in the office. Now, I sit opposite you in the office and you do that fairly rarely. <laughs> it's just inconceivable these days in an office, isn't it, that that sort of behaviour would be tolerated? We've become... Um, less tolerant of the things we should be less tolerant of. I mean, yeah. our values have changed and women are considered in a more equal light than they used to be. So, yes, that that's changed. I mean, I think Hugo's right in that there are certain things that we should possibly be shocked by and we're not. Mm -hmm. So David Beckham having an affair, I mean... That doesn't shock me. And mm -hmm. and it was great. It made great reading, but it was never going to ruin his career as a yeah. footballer. Um, David Laws, the um, Lib Dem, um, very senior Lib Dem politician, when he was found um, to have been misappropriating his expenses because he was gay but didn't want to come out to his family, I think there was actually a great deal of sympathy for him because um, there was a kind of understanding that he was in a very difficult position. And yeah. I think there is greater sympathy on that side. I mean, I think with Clifford... A, not all of his stories were just sort of titillating, page three style kiss and tells. He was heavily involved in the Geoffrey Archer um, uh, case, which uh, obviously brought Geoffrey Archer down um, and was very proud of that and talked yeah. about it absolutely loads. He also talked a lot about his role and now obviously looking back retrospectively, it's quite ironic, but bringing Jonathan King and Gary Glitter down the, the paedophiles and talked mm -hmm. really interestingly about the fact that they were manipulative and arrogant and that these qualities were necessary to squash down their guilty consciences around paedophilia which obviously well, now it's absolutely yeah. amazing looking at that I mean genuinely yeah. you, do, you can see he obviously was a great self-publicist as well as a publicist well, for others th Clifford I th I th and he talked about this all the time in his autobiography it's quite sort of interesting looking back on it I think both King and Archer he had he had less to do with than he subsequently claimed he did <laughs> as, was, as with a lot of things I mean I thought when I started writing about him yesterday 
I had sort of conceived of him as being basically at the heart of every one of the back to back to basic scandals of the nineties. He wasn't. He was he was behind the the David Mellor, the fam- famous David Mellor one, which predated Back to Basics, and sort of so I guess established the tone in which all that happened. But the steady drip of things that sort of came out afterwards, you know, the sort of culminating in all the sort of you know uh, cash for questions and all that kind of stuff. He was just he was merely the person who popped up on television to talk about it. Well, he's the greatest, greatest talent for publicity was well, self publicity. Uh, yeah. I just wonder, and this is only a hypothesis, of course, whether his his crimes for which has now been committed, he didn't even con- consider to himself that they were crimes. I mean, in, anyone who, who is hiding something, to be so brazen and come out when the Operation Utree stuff was all bubbling and say there were lots of celebrities who should be really worried. Yeah. Perhaps he just never considered to himself that... I think he did. I mean, I think if you look at the evidence given from the victims about the way he shut them up and he said to them, you can tell who you want, nobody will believe you, shows that he knew what he was doing was wrong. And and the things like the kind of almost blackmail style of getting a photographer, he's so sick, getting a photographer to take a picture of a young girl carrying out a sex act on him in a car to ostensibly to show to her this is the risk you're at if you um, yes. if you do this yeah. sort of thing I mean that's extremely it's hard to conceive he didn't know that some of those things yeah. at least were, were yeah. beyond the pale isn't it but just, just to conclude this section Hugo you, you, if you're right that we're becoming less censorious about sexual misdemeanours do you yeah. welcome that trend do you think we're getting it, these things in perspective now or do you think we'll, we're missing something no I think it's I think it's entirely positive I mean I it depends how you mean censorious. I, I am quite censorious about, say, infidelity, for example, uh, except there's, there's a difference between being sort of, you know, sort of personally censorious and, and sort of societally censorious, if you see what I mean. I don't, certainly don't believe anyone should lose their job as a result of it or any, anything like that. I think we, did, we do have things much better in perspective. I think the, the particularly great thing is that when, you are, when you're in, a, in an environment when you are censorious about many things, about sexual misdemeanors, about just the mere fact that somebody's gay, what that does is it, it creates a lot of dark space in society. And in that dark space in society, genuinely horrendous things can happen. And um, and I think in a sort of a, a less permissive age, that's what allowed people like Max Clifford to to flourish because there were dark spaces in society because people didn't talk about sex, didn't talk about who they were sleeping with, didn't talk about what was basically going on in their lives. And so I welcome the fact that that's uh, okay. Over. Well, well, let's. I mean, Faye's looking puzzled, but I've just got I'm, no, one small thing to add yeah. is if if you think we should be or we are less censorious, does that also mean that these things should not be exposed, or are you happy that they're exposed and that people can judge them? as they wish, the public can judge, and maybe we just, you know, pass over and it, and it becomes next, next day's fish and chip paper? Or do you think that actually this stuff shouldn't be exposed because we no longer care about it? Well, it depends what you mean by should and shouldn't. I mean, I'm quite a, I'm a, I'm a, very, I'm quite a free press purist, and I, I think the press can, can, can write what they like about anything. We can write what we like about anything as long as it's not libelous. That doesn't mean we always should. But we always will. Well, we probably always will, but that's, and that's you know, right, but that, but surely, that's, isn't it? Because that's, that's a moral judgment. Society can say we don't care about this, but if you allow the fact that well, we I'm don't in charge, care and I'm going to judge that that is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, the public want to read about it, and that's what newspapers yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's no sort market. of principle. As I say, I've already judged that this is wrong. So that's, <laughs> that's the end of that, because we are going to go on to the fact that there are, in a way, more fewer dark spaces, and we are getting nicer, aren't we, Faye? Yes, we're all becoming very lovely, nice people who are kind to each other. This, um, I do think it's fascinating. So crime since, so in the 50s, 60s, there was a well-established crime weight or an increase in crime across the wealthy world. Since the early 90s, crime 
basically in every um, rich country, well-developed country, has been falling and dramatically falling. So, um, as I said, Estonia, the murder rate has fallen enormously. France, property crime has been falling since 2001. In the UK, all types of crime have been, but virtually all types of crime, um, domestic violence, there was some increase in, in Britain um, and possibly um, sexual crime, some increase in Britain. But apart from that, everything's been falling since the ni- late 90s. Now, there have been loads of explanations offered for this, all of which sort of have um, stand up to a certain point and then fall down again because of the differences between different countries. So one is that you had the baby boom um, and therefore you had a, a concentration of young people who are more likely to carry out crime at a certain period and that's now fallen off. Um, another um, looks at unleaded petrol and the um, fact that... and. We saw, I scoffed when I first heard this, but it does. There does seem to be some weight to the idea that um, lead in the atmosphere um, is correlated with crime, and unleaded petrol has had a knock-on, um, a positive knock-on there. The, the increase in prison places, but then not every country. Canada, for example, has slashed its number of prison places. And I think even New York, there are fewer people in prison, despite the fact that across America, there's something like one in a hundred mm. people in America in prison, which is incredible. Which has led um, one criminologist, um, Roger Matthews from the University of Kent, to say that the only real way you can cover all these variables is to say that actually we're just nicer and the reason he gives for that is that there are, there are fewer jobs being provided by manual labour and mass production more in the service industry and the key to the service industry is that you need to be nice to your customers and that therefore we've become softer and smoother. I mean, it's such a, he says himself it's such a namby-pamby explanation that he sort of shies away There's from There's also it. a longer term evolutionary explanation which you, you first get in the book mm-hmm. by a sociologist called Norbert Elias called The Civilising Process which he pointed out that the homicide rate from the Middle Ages to 20th century Europe fell 50-fold. And Stephen Pinker's book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, describes across all forms of violence, including the two we've talked about just now, how we've become less and less violent over time. And we're just gradually finding ways of taming our appetites and our impulses. Now, that's an incredibly long-term explanation for the number of Estonians who are still walking around unmurdered. (laughs) But there must be some connection there. But then how would he explain the 50s uh, increase. Well, but you see, but that that bit's the anomaly. The anomaly okay. is the spike mm. that happened over the, over, over a long term decline. I mean, I, there was a cohort effect as well. I mean, f- for me, the, the point where I sort of really recognised this phenomenon was when it was just after I moved to London, and I was in a flat and I didn't have, didn't have much money. I was living with a friend, and we were both temping, and we went to cash converters to get out our flat, and I bought a toaster for one pound fifty, and this was in this was probably in what nineteen ninety seven or something like that, and I. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I just thought, if you can buy a toaster for £1.50... Who's going to burgle yeah. my house? Yeah. The economics you know. of white goods have completely yeah. collapsed. Yeah. And also what's happened is that all the criminals, the best criminals used to be burglars because it was really, it paid. But now bur- nobody goes into burglary if you're a criminal because the the value of the goods you get is so small. So yeah. rubbish criminals are now burglars and the detection rates have soared mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they're all inept. So you get very few burglaries by comparison and the detection rate's gone right up. It's the economics of burglary has, has the, gone against you. The foiling you. of car theft as well, which is sort of obvious. There's an obvious explanation for that, which is just that cars are far more secure than they used to be, has had a massive knock on as well because you used to go burgle and you had to have a getaway car. And yeah. you wanted a getaway car that was a stolen getaway car, otherwise, obviously, it's yours. If you can't do that, then you've got that whole knock on. There are loads of explanations, but I mean, there's What's a study out to last TV week. TV drama, Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know what I thought was interesting? Um, well, it was all interesting. Something that's very interesting, what you just said, was that the crimes that seem to be in the increase, or at least not in decline, are the crimes we can commit without leaving the house. Mm. You know, um, domestic domestic violence. Um, and sofa crime. Yeah, sofa crime. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, domestic violence on your sofa is quite hard work, you'd have thought. But, uh, um, but things like Depends that. Depends how well sprung it is. <laughs> and, um, and I'm sure, like, you know, sort of crimes of, you know, sort of in- internet pornography crimes, you know, sort of child pornography crimes, all, all that kind of thing. But, um, and fraud. And, and, and internet and, crime, and we don't know the figures well, of that. Yeah. Possibly it's gone online. Yeah. It's nice to have a, a political debate that's more about Estonians than Estonians. <laughs> and the one thing I know about is Estonia, apart from the fact that no one gets murdered there, is that it is a, a bubbling hotbed of internet innovation. There's an awful lot of startups there. Skype came out of Estonia. Really? Mm. Um, and perhaps that, you know, the more technologically aware we are, the more you're spending your time on your computer rather than... Th- you've got occupation. Boredom, I think, is a big cause of crime as well yeah. in, in l- low-paid working class. But so is inequality, and we're more unequal than ever in theory, on some measures. So why that, you would think, would spawn but more crime? Because the bottom's still wealthy enough. Well, also, I mean, think, think back to how bored you were as a teenager. Think back to that, the, the days you'd spend wandering around with nothing to do. Huddersfield was a riveting I was always out <laughs> breaking the I was cycling on pavement and things like that. <laughs> so you think, I mean, surely, surely nobody can be as bored in Britain as I was in 1992. I don't see how it can be. <laughs> There's just too much to do. You know, you've got the whole of the internet, and and like more. What, than what about the debate channels? over the creation of the single currency? Were you not, <laughs> were you not deeply engaged in that? Personally, not so much. There no. is an argument that as we all get um, sort of cramped in closer together, the population increases. So in London, for example, you're all squashed into flats. That it, it enforces 
greater niceness because you, you're so squashed in that, you know, you're treading on each other's toes that actually if you don't try and get along and say please and thank you, yeah. then the knock-on will be. And there was a study last week looking at how Londoners are actually more polite than anywhere else in the country apart from the northeast in terms of saying please and thank you, which is totally at odds with what everybody yeah. who I know in Yorkshire says, oh, they're so rude down there, aren't they? Mm. And actually, it show, we're not, and it might be as a result of kind of being squashed into small spaces. Okay, we've concluded that we are all nice. And to, to finish us, we're going to talk about we someone. Are we are. And we're, here. And we're squashed <laughs> in quite Extremely a small place. Nice. We're squashed into a glass box <laughs> yeah. and we're being very polite to each other. Uh, but now we're going to come on to someone who has not been nice and has been caught not being nice on the television, which is Jeremy Paxman. He's not Paxman. been nice for 25 years. And it's thoroughly entertaining. I should stress that I love watching a Paxman interview. It is gladiatorial. I just wonder, though, that the, the Paxman style has, has evolved. The, the belief, to use the rude word again, that this line be is lying to me that as a starting point for every debate it, it forces politicians on the defensive from the beginning it uh, encourages them not to say anything controversial because Paxman will sneer at them or shout at them and and I think that that's, that's sort of the way the media treats politicians generally and that's the way the public views politicians that they're all out to, to conceal something I'd love a return maybe not to that famous debate so that famous introduction to a debate where the BBC presenter said, and have you anything to say to us today, Mr. Foreign Secretary? But I would actually like presenters and interviewers to listen more, to actually um, bring out of them a, a, a bit more often what they're trying to say and not just to sort of assume they're lying from, from the beginning. I think the ideal person actually to do the Newsnight job would be Alan Bennett. Um, <laughs> d- disarm them with politeness. Um, the only problem is that 10.30 is probably way past his bedtime. <laughs> and as he said this week, he doesn't really read much, so I don't know what else he does, no. you know, so he may as well go on. But for instance, I mean, Paxman is, is often, you talk about the, the, the Michael Howard interview and, and it came out that one of the reasons he asked the question over and over again is they just were waiting for the next guest. Yeah. But I watched but, that interview again this week and it is, it's not an aggressive interview at all. But you he don't asks learn the question over and over. He listens, he listens, he hears Howard out. Yeah. Howard doesn't answer the question. He asks the question again. Howard's behaviour is shameful. The entire, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the beginning of that learn. interview, for the good first five minutes, is very deferential. So I, to- I couldn't disagree with you more on this point and for another reason, which is that we as journalists and, and actually the public have so little opportunity to actually hold our MPs to account. You could say there's greater scrutiny than ever, fine, but really what their, their motivations for things are totally unknown because they go on inside their heads. We don't sit in on cabinet meetings, so we don't know what they actually think about things. We have this tiny window of opportunity when we can interview them, and it's absolutely right that at that time we engage in close textual analysis, basically, but, uh, but of it, every single should, word that they say. But it should, should be about what that. they say, not, not about the presenter. But it, well, it should be about what but, they but say. The but they push them to they, say things. They, they, in, they invite contempt with their behaviour a lot of the time. They, um, if you watch, if you watch a really disastrous kind of Newsnight interview, when um, what was her name? Uh, Chloe, Chloe Chloe Smith, Smith. for example, mm. textbook disastrous Newsnight interview. What she does wrong, she patronises him. She tries to. She calls him Jeremy. Always call him Mr. Mm. Paxman. You know, he's <laughs> like your friend. Or, or sir. Keep it formal. Yeah, and 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 she. She obviously dissembles. She, yes. she. There are things she obviously doesn't want to say, and she's fighting not to say them. People aren't idiots. People can hear that happening. You know, if you if you if you're a politician and you're up in front of an interviewer yeah. and there's something you don't want to say, that's your problem. Yeah, no, no, that's not the interviewer's no, it, problem. It, it, but it's absolutely your. It's not your problem. It's your predicament. It's the state that you're in. There's bound to be things you don't want to say in an interview. Quite rightly too. And if you're caught saying them, you'll be sacked. So it's the mm. logic of your position. There are things you you can't say. What you've got to do is dissemble cleverly, not dissemble appallingly, like Chloe Smith <laughs> did. Now, well, I've got some sympathy with Patrick's starting point, which is that Paxman's premise is that this person is lying to me. 
And that strikes me as it's not true. It'd be nice if he was more often wrong. No, but lying is... Any politician who goes onto the television and lies, their career will be over. They're not lying. It's much more sophisticated than that. What they're trying to do is not say the thing he's trying to get them to say, which they think in private, but they've got a collective responsibility not to say in public. That's not the same as a lie. Mm. And so to start from the assumption that they are lying is, is actually an insult. And, and it's a misunderstanding of the, of the politicians' I position. I feel tremendously sorry for politicians. They're paid badly, they're treated poorly, they work awful hours. I'd never want to be a politician. And they go in there and there's Paxman who's earning 800000 a year. And I wish some politician mm-hmm. would just come out and say, come on, yeah. Jeremy, where's your responsibility to the taxpayer here? Because it always begins from the point of confrontation. It would mm-hmm. just be nice to have, a, maybe 10.30 at night isn't the time to do it, but it would it'd be nice to have a more civilised debate where you are, first of all, asked, explain, here's your chance, and then a face says... But that is what happens. It's only the ones that endure in our memory, the, the kind of real car crash ones. Yeah. I mean, if we had perhaps more access to cabinet ministers than the, the time that we have, which is five minutes a, a week or whatever on mm. an issue that they choose, that they dictate the terms of quite often, then fine. If we had more time, then perhaps it could be a little, a little kinder. We don't. We're given very little access, and we have to use the moment of, of access to, to push as hard as we possibly can. And the, the, the area on which I do have sympathy for your argument is that you could say there are brilliant minds that are being squashed down because they don't present well and I think that is an argument you could have people who have fantastic ideas that could revolutionize whatever the care system or uh, benefits but um, they they don't present well so they're not they don't come out and you know they sort of fall by the wayside but there are areas in government where those minds can thrive they're just not as MPs because MPs are about a public face as much as about having good ideas so I think it's totally fair that we expect them to be well presented and to to mind their P's and Q's Mm. and to to have their arguments um, structured uh, correctly. Do you think it's a problem though with with the lack of respect I mean an enormous lack of respect that people around the country have for politicians? It's I mean it's almost deserved you'd probably say but but I just wonder whether actually a more deferential society would understand more, and well, it's, a bit more. It's almost it's a broader it's a broader problem than that. I mean, there are less aggressive interviews. There's Ma, for example, who can, can be very gentle. But um, a lot of the problem is the relative status our society affords. Say, the Minister of State for Work and Pensions and Jeremy Paxman is actually quite out of whack. Mm. Jeremy Paxman is is one of the most recognisable, influential, important people in the country. No one knows who does that other job. And so, and so we, we, we approach it as if it should be the, the meek grilling the powerful. And actually, you're quite right, it's sort of the reverse. Because the, because the, the status of politicians in our, in our society is not what it should be, which is a wider problem, which isn't just about how interviews are, are conducted, I think. How often do you think that in recent times the Paxman-style interview has yielded real, anything at all, really? It's been really... I've been conscious of how often people have talked about the Michael Howard interview or Chloe Smith, because they're the only ones they can... The Hague one, which was much the same as the Howard one, although he got away with because the Howard one had happened before, <laughs> that, yeah, that yielded plenty. It showed the Tories didn't know Michael mm. Ash- Ashcroft's tax status. But here's a case you for know, changing so, the way you do it, mm. which is that, OK, you might feel morally righteous going hard, but the politicians have learned how to defend. So the interview has become incredibly stale. Well, but you see, that's, 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 you, that's you speaking from, from still inside the number 10 bunker. You're, you're perceiving it as being that there's an aggressive media that, no, that, no, that, that, that politicians have learned to defend themselves against. No, I wasn't. Whereas, no, I wasn't. Okay. <laughs> no, I was simply... This bit of the aggressive media chooses to believe you were. I don't wish to speak to you. Whereas, no, I didn't, whereas, I didn't whereas mean others, that. others would say that what came first is, others, is the politicians who? learn how to bullshit. Me. You're all swearing now. Now, <laughs> Can no. I just say on, on this, one of the best interviews I saw of that type was the Eddie Mayer one with Boris Johnson, 
where Mayor, it can be aggressive, but he was actually very calm and rational, putting mm. the questions about Darius Guppy and, mm. and, and about um, Boris's nastier side. And normally Boris rises to the occasion brilliantly in these mm. occasions. He, he blusters well, and, and I think faced with a Paxman, he, he regards it as a fight. The fact that Mayor actually didn't overspeak used as a, a scalpel rather than a bludgeon mm. actually was a brilliant yeah. recovery because Same it made Boris suddenly look shifty. is very good like, I mean Francis yeah. do you remember when he interviewed Francis Maud and about volunteering and said Francis Maud because Francis Maud was saying everybody should volunteer the whole country should volunteer and Andy Mayer said so, so Minister what volunteering do you do and Francis Maud said well that's a very very tough question to be asked. It's a bit naughty if you caught me in the hot with that one. And he totally fell apart and ended up saying, well, actually, volunteering takes loads of forms and we shouldn't all feel that we have to volunteer kind of under the umbrella of, you know, volunteering organisations, which actually, you know, was a brilliant um, way of catching him out and he wasn't aggressive. So I don't think Paxo's way of doing it is the way that everybody should, but I would absolutely defend his right to do it in the first place. And if we like it, all the better. But with Mayor, that's a five-word question. And bring him Mayor. I love him to be the replacement to Paxman. My case against this wasn't quite that uh, politicians ought to be given an easy ride. It was that um, there's a stalemate here. Mm-hmm. They're, they're both at fault. Sure. The, the politicians, it's, it's depressing that they're so choreographed, but they are going to be. If that's going to be the attack, that's what's going to happen. And there's no way out of this. So from the point of view of a broadcaster, you might think, I've got to break this stalemate somehow because it's got very boring. And how do I do that? And maybe Eddie Mayer is one way of doing it. Nick Robinson did it with Farage a couple of weeks ago where he very cleverly skewered him by persistent politeness. It was mm-hmm. aggressive in a, in a sense in that he didn't let him off at all, but it wasn't overtly so. It didn't carry that assumption that you're lying to me. Never underestimate the ability of letting the interviewee speak for as yeah. long as they want and then they'll fall into their own. I'm not sure about this. So. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, cut- answer the question. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Alan Bennett for Newsnight. Well, I think we'll... Leave it right there. We've learned an awful lot, at least I have. I learned that Skype came out of Estonia. I hope that's right. Well, I hope it's right, too. We'll get letters if it's not. And Finland, for anyone right. who is wondering, the, the person who does that other job that Hugo referred to is Professor Steve Webb. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to our panellists, Hugo, Faye and Patrick. You can read more at thetimes.co.uk slash central. Tim Montgomery will be back next week in his usual place, but goodbye for now. I'm Gabriel Marconi, the host of The Game podcast from The Times, where we talk football every single Monday. We'll be reviewing the action from the weekend and debating on all the issues of the week. Head to thetimes.co.uk for more details, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.